Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Second hour of Oilers Now here on this Thursday edition. The heavy hitters edition. We've heard from Louis DeBrasque. We've got Brian Burke on standby. Got to tell you that it's all brought to you by Digitex. PCs, copiers, supplies, printers, laptops, IT, plotters, software. And now Digitex can manage your corporate cell phone plan, saving your company money. All your devices managed at digitex.ca. Keep the text coming at 630-630 on the Heartland Ford text line. If you think all dealerships are the same, think again. Experience buying a vehicle on your terms with no pressure at Heartland Ford. Uh, we're going to bring aboard Brian Burke right now for our friends at Canadian Power Pack. They're Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Brian, uh, appreciate you taking the time as always. Let's start with the controversial non-call last night. Uh, obviously a pretty glaring hand pass and not even an option to video review it. What was your take on that whole situation? Well, I find it, first off, it's, it's a... Uh it's a, a tragic turn of events. Like, like I said this earlier on the radio that uh, the Chinese people are saying it's the year of the pig, but it's the year of the zebra. Um, <laughs> the number of monumental gaffes that have occurred in the playoffs from a really good bunch of guys that do a really good job 90% of the time, it's horrible. It's Murphy's Law, what's happening now. Last night, if you look at the positioning of the four officials, Everyone was where they're supposed to be. So the front linesman's on the blue line, so he's 60 feet away from it. The other referee's outside the zone. The back linesman's on the red line. The only guy with a potential good look at it is the low referee. He's blocked out. So it's like a perfect storm. And in that case, they did not do what, what the referees did in the the series with Vegas and uh San Jose and make up a call. They just said we didn't see it, which is what they're trained to do. They actually did the right thing last night and say, we used to, I was their boss for five years. We'd say, like, I don't know or I didn't see it. Those are suitable responses. So this is human error and under the current system, we have to live with it. I've had enough of this um, and I'm, a, I'm not a big guy for expanding review. And for our fans in, in you know, northern Alberta and Edmonton, People should understand the resistance to replay in all sports, not just the NHL. The reason we all fought replay wasn't because we didn't want to get it right. It's because we wanted to make the experience the best we could for the most important customers we had, who are the people that buy tickets. We didn't want to have a 20-minute review. We didn't want to add 25 minutes to the game. 
was all about the best experience for the best fan is the one who buys tickets. So we reluctantly went into it. We narrowed its scope. Uh, I remember Gary Bettman, very, with very prophetic powers, said at the time, be careful what you wish for. This is a Pandora's box. But the fact is, we've got to a point, and we've got to figure out when we use replay, when we don't. There was a puck over the glass call last night that dismissed. We want to review those. Puck in the net in the Boston Columbus series. We want to review those. So I came up with a conclusion last night. I've had enough of this. I don't care what we do in the regular season as much. We can limit replay in the regular season. In the, in the playoffs, we got to get it right. We need a two-tier system. We need a video review system for the playoffs and a video review system for the regular season. And the purists will say, that's not right. You shouldn't put more value on BS. I'm putting more value on it. Like last night, that could cost San Jose the series. The, the Cody Eakins penalty, you can argue convincingly in any court in Canada that that cost them the series, that that call cost the Vegas Golden Knights that series. They were up 3 nothing with 10 minutes to go in the third period. So I want to start reviewing more, uh, and I want to start it as soon as they can get approval for it. Now, let me ask you this, Brian. So it's is it expanding video review, or is it finding a better, like, more uh, effective use of what's already in place? Well, no. I want Like, for example, that wasn't reviewable last night. Right. That was a hand pass. That's not reviewable. A goal is reviewable, but a hand pass is not. So I want them to be able to call down and say, in any goal in the playoffs or in any overtime, whatever the GMs think. The GMs know how to get this done. They, they are the conscience of the game. They are the brains of the game. The GMs know how to get this done. They know where to draw the lines what best. But I will tell you, the Cody Eakin thing, that can't happen. That cannot happen. The call last night cannot happen. I was sitting with Ron McLean in the studio, and Ron was a referee. As soon as the hand pass was made, before Carlson scored, Right away, Ron, who, again, former referee, he says right away, hand pass. And I said it right behind him, like almost identical time, hand pass. We're like, okay, that goal doesn't count. <laughs> and then we see that no one's raised their arm, no one's waving their arms. And we're like, whoa, they missed it. No. So, yeah, I want, I want the ability for Toronto in the playoffs to make sure the glaring error is a reverse. Cody Eakins call can't stand. This goal that shouldn't have been a goal can't stand. So let me ask you this, because Louis DeBrusque made a couple interesting points about maybe the speed of the game is just becoming a little bit too much to keep track of down on the ice. Uh, another thought is that the two-referee system has not worked out as planned. Uh, do you have any opinions on either of those points? Well, there's no question the game. Well, first off, I love listening to Louis DeBrusque on the radio, on, on TV. I think his analysis of games is great. And I, I don't know if he's listening now. I'm not kissing his ass, but... I, I, when I turn on the TV and Louie's working the game, I'm happy about that. I think he does a really good job. Uh, the game is, is too fast, but the, the one, you know, we used to use one referee when the players were slow, like when Louie played. Um, <laughs> now, uh, the guys used to skate up to nine miles in a game, the one referee. We put a, a, a distance thing on them, a odometer or whatever you call it, a pedometer, and put, put a distance measuring device on them. He's, one of the guys skated nine miles one night. 10 miles so uh, I like the two referee system I like the fact that four guys huddled last night we had four chances to get it right we didn't get it right and uh, I don't I don't fault the officials like the one thing that really bothers me is people 
or they, they start throwing rocks at the officials for being incompetent and corrupt, and somehow they want San Jose to win. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was their boss for five years. They are the best officials in the world. They try desperately to get it right. They are sick when they make a mistake, sick. So we've got to keep that. You put in too much for play, replay, and your officials lose their edge. They're like, well, we'll just call Toronto. Then, then they're no good to you. If they can't make those calls, they're no good to you. Just like now, I think a lot of offsides are being called because the linesmen don't want to be overruled. So if it's close, just blow the whistle. I think we got to find some balance here and get back to it. But, no, I don't want to go away from a two-referee system. But Louis right. Speed of the game. We might need to add more replay to compensate for that. Chatting with Brian Burke right now, a longtime NHL executive. And, Brian, having been in, in a role in which you are directly working with the referees, as well as having been a general manager, how soon could a change like this come into effect? As soon as next season, as soon as next week, what would we expect? Well, the league hates midseason changes, and certainly in the middle of the third round of the playoffs, I'd be shocked if they change it. As a GM, I would vote for it, though. If they could make every goal in the playoffs reviewable, including the, the series of events that leads to it, so that would include an offside or a hand pass or an intervening penalty that was missed, uh, not pure judgment calls, but you know, like, like something totally missed. Like, um, I, w- I would vote to change it immediately before it has already cost San Jose, or sorry, Vegas a series, not just a game, but a series. This loss, if San Jose goes on to win, you could argue cost St. Louis a series. You're talking millions of dollars here, and the gorilla in the corner is legalized gambling. You're talking about getting this right. The wrong call could, could cost the, the, the betters millions of dollars, and I don't really sympathize with that group yet. i got to get my arms around this. I don't gamble much myself, so I don't really care about this group, but I think getting it right is going to be really important to those people. If we want this to be a significant source of revenue for the league, then we bloody well better get it right. Right, and I read on Twitter this morning that they, in fact, had to uh, to basically call that game a wash last night. They actually reimbursed uh, some of the betters their money, uh, which is not the precedent that you want to have to set. But on that no. note, Brian, is this... Is this just a glaring issue right now because there has been so much of a spotlight on a couple major calls, or is this a problem that seems to be maybe growing and expanding? No, I I really don't think it's growing or expanding. I think what's happened is it's like bad things come in threes. Uh, It's like an epidemic, and it's it's no different when you're you're fishing. You know, if you get one fish, you're probably going to get three, and then you're probably going to sit and wait for a while. We've had a number of games incident-free, well-called, the refereeing standard last night was excellent. They let go a bunch of marginal stuff at the start and waited till they had a legit foul to penalize. We really want that first call to be the right call. It's got to be right. And uh, they did a good job last night. The standard was good. The calls were good. They just missed this one call. And again, you can't fault anybody. No one, no one should have been in a position to see this and didn't. So in my mind, okay, we're not faulting the referees. Let's assist them. Let's say to them that Toronto can call down and say, okay, we're not going to make the call. You look at a replay. You're the referee. You're the one who's down low. You call it. And he would have seen this hand pass plain as day and whistle it dead when Nyquist got it. So I, I, don't, I think we got to get it right. I, I think uh, it's a black eye for our league right now. People that aren't serious hockey fans are really questioning the ability of the officials and the intent. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. 
While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. Integrity officials, and we all know that not, neither one of those can be questioned. So let's fix this. Let's get them some help. Chatting with Brian Burke of Sportsnet, Brendan Escott in today on Oilers Now. Brian, uh, part, some of my beef with this issue is because it's taking away from what Logan Couture has done in the playoffs. He's up to 20 points now. He's having a remarkable stretch. Uh, what do you see in his game that's enabled him to be one of the better playoff performers in recent memory? I hate him. Really? Yeah, I hate him. I, I'm so sick. I'm so sick of Logan Couture. I said this on TV. Working as much as I did in the West, watching Logan Couture dismantle my teams. Like he's been a great player in our league, and because he plays on the West Coast, no one talks about him. This is kind of cool. He's finally he's he's in the top three of ever of career playoff goals. Like he's he's been a remarkable player in the league that seldom gets talked about because the, the center possession is crowded and because he plays on the West Coast. But I really like this player. I joke about him. I'm sick of him. I hate him. But I really like this player. And every playoff, there's a couple players who get the spotlight that people didn't know about at all or know that well, like Jacob Slavin. No one knew about him outside of hockey people. Now all of a sudden you realize he's a pretty darn good hockey player. Same with Logan Couture. He's a pretty good hockey player and has been for a long time, but he's finally getting his due, and good for him. I do like him. I just I hated playing against him. <laughs> uh, okay, so out east now, Brian. You've got Boston dominating Carolina. Uh, Carolina just running out of steam and the momentum that they had, or is Boston as good as it looks like they are when they're on the same ice surface? Both. You can hear the, the clock is striking midnight for the Cinderella team in the east. And no one should be embarrassed or ashamed by what they've accomplished. If this is indeed the end of the road, if they do lose in four straight, I I predict they'll get one win. I think they're done, but I think they'll get one win out of this. So I, I predict that it won't be over tonight, but that they're going to lose the series. And um, But no one should take anything away from what they've accomplished. They had a great year, a great step forward, and... Um, you know, it's been great. But they're they're out of their league right now. I think the first period killed them in game three. 20 shots on that, 37 shot attempts, and no success. And I think they were thoroughly demoralized at the end of that period. I went to the dressing room and said, we can't beat them. And, and, uh, and then the depth of the Bruins took over. So, And I think Boston sees the highway in front of them. It sees no Tampa. It sees no Washington. And I think they're smelling some blood here. So it'll be over in game five, if not tonight. And congratulations, if and when it is. Congrats to the Carolina Hurricanes. No shame there. They took a big step forward. 
with a young head coach and a young uh, core group of players as well. I think they've got a bright future. Uh, Chatting with Brian Burke right now. Brian, uh, a couple of tournaments going on that are featuring some of the uh, potential draft prospects here. Memorial Cup is is coming up this weekend. You've got the World Hockey Championship, which features the ones and two potential picks in this draft and Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. When you're evaluating talent at these tournaments, how far does a performance for a young player like that go in, in terms of where you might pick him? Well, at this point, you've probably got on a guy like Jack Hughes, you're probably in the 300 report range of guys that have seen him play and filed a report. You probably got 300 plus on this guy. So you've already got your book. What's his tool set, this and that? You wouldn't adjust much. You might tweak your list based on a tournament. The cool thing about this is they're playing in the men's tournament, right? So this is the under-18s tournament just just finished, just completed. These kids are playing with the men. This rarely happens. I remember when the Sedins were picked, the year after I drafted them. And Thomas Green called me and said, the Swedes, the, the Sedins are playing in the world championships. I said, who got hurt? They don't take 18-year-olds to this tournament. They never have. It's a handful of kids. And both these guys playing against men. Like, you look at the rosters. These are NHL men. These are guys five to ten years in the league, mm-hmm. and they're both doing just fine. So you might tweak your list, but you would have had these guys one and two in some sequence anyway. Absolutely. And and I think, Brian, what we're seeing right now, in my opinion, is the difference between Jack Hughes not playing against men all year and Capo Caco playing in the Finnish league and, and having that competition and, and that step up. Uh, I, I guess it's sort of the same question, but with his performance up to six goals now for Caco, do you think he's closing the gap a little bit and making the decision for New Jersey a little bit more difficult? Well, I've talked to a couple teams that had Capo Caco uh, at number one back at Christmas time. So he's not the, the gap is more in the media than on some teams. I still think Jack Hughes is the number one pick, and we'll go number one because here's here's what you have to say to yourself. Okay, Capo Cackle right now is playing against men. He's doing more, but Jack Hughes hasn't been afforded that opportunity. So let's see where they both are in a year. You're still betting on upside here. You're not betting on is Capo Cackle a better player at 18 than Jack Hughes. You're projecting here. You're betting. What will they both be in three years, five years, seven years? And I think people still give the upside to Jack Hughes. I think they're both going to be marvelous players. I'm glad I don't have to choose between them. It's a situation you might almost rather be picking second uh, just because you don't have to make that decision. Uh, A couple more I want to run past you as we're talking with Brian Burke on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. Uh, One of the first moves out of the Ken Holland regime, uh, they part ways with Craig McTavish. We're not sure yet because there's been no official release as to whether that was the decision of Holland or McTavish, but one of the dominant narratives here in Edmonton, of course, is the old boys club, and McTavish was a big part of that. Uh, maybe just a thought on that uh, on that move by McTavish to go to the KHL. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be mutual, but I'm also pretty sure that, that uh, the Edmonton Oilers probably encouraged this. I, and I don't think Craig McTavish is the last name of the old boys network that's going to go. I think you'll see other blood spilled, uh, even if Mac T did this on his own. But a couple of thoughts. Um, Mac T was an excellent player for this organization, an executive that gave everything for this organization, a great guy, a good ambassador. So he may be remembered for some failure, but he should be remembered for being 
a real key part of lots of things for lots of years and bringing praise on the Edmonton Oilers as a good guy. And I wish him well with his next venture. But I don't think it's the last name from the 90s that you're going to see disappear here. And I get the impression that that was maybe the direction that the real high-ups wanted to take this with the hiring of Ken Holland. Is that a fair assumption in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think the high-ups. I think the fans, I think the fan base, and I'm not sure it's fair. Like, we're dealing with this show, dealing with Keith Gretzky all year, and I've known Keith, you know, for years, met him, I see him in rinks. Every time I go to a rink, Keith Gretzky is in the rink. Like, it's like this guy lives in the rink. He works his tail off. But aside from, you know, Keith, where I got to know by doing this show, and I've actually got to know the marketplace a little bit better and really enjoying it, um, I think that the fans and the fan base in northern Alberta want to see some change. And rightly or wrongly, they're pinning the losses and pinning the, the lack of prestige on that group of guys, Kevin O, Mac T, Scott Housen. I think that's where they perceive the, the problem to be. And probably ownership can't be, you can't be blind or deaf to your fan base. So I think there's some pressure there that people want to see some change. So I don't think Mac Tease is the last name you'll see. And uh, But no one should forget that these guys did their best and were good guys and good soldiers for the Edmonton Oilers. They, they shouldn't get shoved out the door. They should get patted on the back as they leave. I'll give you one more name, Brian, before we let you go. And Ralph Kruger getting hired in Buffalo. We've had quite a few people uh, in the media and otherwise here in Edmonton praise uh, him as a hockey mind. And we had Craig Simpson on the show yesterday suggest something else. What are your thoughts on him with his, he's very internationally dominant in his coaching experience? Well, you can, people in Alberta can argue whether this is a good move or not. That's a fair argument. They can't argue about his hockey mind and they can't argue about him as a person. You're dealing with a first-rate person. He's a good guy. He has integrity. He has good moral values. He's excellent that way. And his hockey background's solid. You can't argue those things. It'd be like, you know, you can't argue a guy with a Ph.D. in oceanography. He knows some about oceans. It's, <laughs> it's beyond arguing. This guy is legit. Whether he's the right fit for the Buffalo Sabres at this time, that's what I question. And, like, I worked 31 years as an executive in the National Hockey League. Do you know how many National Football League teams offered me contracts? None. Baseball? None. NBA? None. Mm -hmm. This guy went and ran an EPL soccer team for five years. That says you've got brains and you've got a, a resume that's pretty deep. So this guy has the credentials. He has the ability. There's no question about it. The question is, is he the right fit? I question that only because I'm not sure where Buffalo is team-wise that this is going to work. Great stuff, Brian. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and we'll connect next week, okay? Thanks, Brandon. See ya. Thanks, Brian. That is Brian Burke of NHL Hockey on Rogers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.